for these words. And we thank you for um, just the ability to wrestle with these words and try to figure out what they mean for all of us, um, but for, for our own lives. How do they apply to our jobs and our homes and our futures? And God, help us to figure that out. Um, we know that none of us are perp- perp- perfect, and we know that none of us uh, will ever have everything figured out on this side of eternity, but we pray that you would push us toward a process that relies on you more and trust more in your goodness. Um, this is our prayer in the name of Christ. Amen. Uh, you guys can thank Mario for um, reading for us this morning. Thank you, Mario. I think the numbers are Biente Cinco to Biente Ocho. Ah, let's see. It'll take me a while to figure out Spanish. But um, we are talking about this passage that we just read for the next few weeks. The story of Jesus talking with someone who says that the whole purpose of faith is to love God with everything and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the the result of our faith, and this is what we strive for. And this is a passage that is in the New Testament. It's in the book of Luke that we just read, but that is actually quoting from the Old Testament. And so this idea of loving God with everything and loving your neighbor as yourself is something that's repeated throughout the scriptures from the very beginning and all the way up until the end and even into today, that we are to, if we're going to be Jesus followers, we are to love God with everything, our heart and soul and mind and strength, and we're to love our neighbor, the people around us, in the same way that we love ourselves. So this is the challenge for us. And last week we started talking about loving God with our heart and soul, which I think is a little easier for us to to picture because when we think about love in general, we think about emotion and passion and we do think of our heart and soul. So think about not even how you love God, but how you love people, and think about reading romance novels or watching romantic comedies or listening to love songs, they all speak to this feeling that we get. And that's kind of, when we think of love, we think of the way we feel. And it's okay for us to think of it that way because when we think about loving God with our heart and soul, that, that's what that means, is that we, we feel in love with God in some way or another. A lot of these feelings result from an experience, some sort of experience. It might be big, it might be small, but it's where uh, we felt like God was showing himself to us. 
So last week we talked about a man named Saul and how he had this experience with God and it changed his life. So when we love God with our heart and soul, our motivations change and our priorities change and our lives change. And that's what it means to love God with your heart and soul. But today we're talking about loving God with your mind. And that's harder for us to picture because we don't think of love as, a, as something that we do with our minds. We, we don't think of it as a, something that happens mentally. We think of it as more emotional and more passion, feeling, is what we think of when we think of love. But... All throughout the scriptures, it says, love God with everything, which includes our minds. Um, C.S. Lewis said this, if you're going to become a Christian, I warn you, it's going to take the whole of you. It's going to take all of us. It's going to take every single part of ourselves. And, And so when we talk about loving God, we're also talking about loving God with our mind. Um... And so before we read the passage in 1 Corinthians that we're going to read this morning, we uh, need to talk about uh, the letter. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 1, and so I invite you to turn there. And if you don't have a Bible, there are some at the back. You can grab them. You can take it home with you. We'd love for you to have it. But 1 Corinthians 1 is where we're going to be today. And the book of 1 Corinthians is a letter from, his name is Paul now. We talked about him last week. His name was Saul. And when he was Saul, he was a religious leader who actually did not like followers of Jesus. And so he put them in prison. He had them killed. And now he's a totally different person. And so now Paul is his name. He's changed his name. And he's writing a letter to a church that he started in a town called Corinth. And Corinth is um, a city that's on the sea. And Corinth is a, it's it's not like Corinth that's just north of here. It's in Europe now. Um, Corinth is uh, a wealthy city for its day. It is a, a diverse city. So are there people from all different types of backgrounds and all different types of economic backgrounds. And he's writing this letter to them, and he's trying to encourage them to stay strong in their faith. And the reason why he's encouraging them is because they are being impacted by all the different people and worldviews around them. So there are Jews that live in Corinth, who think that the message of Jesus and the way of Jesus is wrong and it's um, actually opposed to God. That's what they think about when they think about, um, uh, like, Christianity, the movement of Jesus. And then you have the Greeks and Romans who, they might have this set of gods that they sort of worship, like gods that you may have learned about in mythology. But they also have philosophers, uh, Plato and Socrates and Aristotle. 
and they, they think the message of Jesus is dumb. It's just foolish. And the church exists in this world where you have all of these other religions and all of these others' views of God and the world that are kind of creeping into the church, and Paul is telling them how to live. And this is the, the very beginning of his letter that he's writing. And so um, we're going to be in verse 18. We're going to read about uh, 10 or 11 verses. So 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 29 says this. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful, or wealthy, when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. I want to focus on verse 23 because this is the reality that the church in Corinth lives in. I'm going to read it again. It says, When we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. So this church is growing and it's in this area of the world where people look at the church and they have real criticism of the church. Because there are a group of people who are saying, this is wrong, this is a Offensive to me, as someone who follows God, the idea that Jesus is the bridge to God contradicts everything that I've ever believed in my life. So I hate that message. And then you have this other group of people who they hear the story of Jesus and they just think it's crazy. And it's, he says over and over that the Gentiles say it's foolish. And I want to think about that because a lot of us have grown up hearing the story of Jesus since we were kids. And so for us, it might even feel offensive for someone to say what we believe is foolish. But I want you to just 
picture, if you'd never heard the story of Jesus before, how it would sound to you if you were hearing it for the very first time. There is a creator of the universe, and he created everything, and he even created all of humanity. And we're, all of humanity is, is messed up in some way or another, because we cheat and we lie, and we're selfish, and we have these desires that are destructive, and we sometimes don't care about other people. We just want what we want. And that separates us from the God who created us. All of those things that we do, that broken mess that we have as our lives, that separates us from God. But God didn't stand back and watch us destroy ourselves. He actually came to earth. And he came to earth in the form of a human. But instead of being messy like us, he was perfect. And he died and rose again, and he's still alive today. And if we believe that, then we can experience the presence of God now and for eternity. It doesn't sound crazy to a lot of us because a lot of us believe it and have grown up hearing it. But as a, as a grown-up, if you were to hear that for the very first time, I think a lot of us would say, that sounds a little crazy. If we're honest about our faith, we believe some pretty crazy stuff. We, we don't see people rise from the dead on a regular basis. And so for us to say, I mean, I, mean, I know we don't see that all the time, but, but we believe that it did happen. And um, it's not like we can fly a spaceship to the other side of Jupiter and see God's face. And so we say, well, you can't really do that, but we believe that God is real. There are going to be some people who say, that's crazy. And uh, I believe all of those things to be true. And I know a lot of us in this room believe all of those things to be true. But we have to be honest about the fact that some of the things we believe will be crazy to other people. And that's okay. And Paul says that over and over. There are people who think it's foolishness, and that's okay. And there are all kinds of different arguments against faith in Christ. And there's too many to count. Um, I, I teach a class uh, for another one of the churches we're, that we're a part of. A, we're part of this family of churches, and I teach a class um, that's part of this ongoing thing they have. And one of the ones I teach is uh, it's about tough questions, and it's a different class every year. And, and every year I have 30 or 40 questions, and they're all different every year. And they're questions that people have. People who, who grew up and believe a lot of these things, but they have questions about faith and the Bible and God. And things like, well, how is Christianity different? Why is it, why is it not like all the other religions? Well, I think there's an answer for that. Most other religions, in fact, every other religion and worldview that there is, 
will tell you that in order for you to get to God or to achieve a good life or enlightenment, you, you have to do something. You have to obey a certain amount of rules. You have to live a certain way. You have to, you have to, to do things to get to God. And the Jesus story is one that says that God came, came to us, that we don't have to do anything to earn God's favor or approval or love, that he did the work for us. So that's a question that people have, and I think there's a good answer for that. But other people have other questions. So people say, how can we, how can we trust the Bible to be the actual word of God? And that, that's a hard answer because the Bible has lots of different stories written by lots of different people over hundreds of years. And some of it is uh, poetry. Some of it is songs. Some of it is just prose telling a story. Uh, some of it is prophecy, literally God speaking to the people. And so... It's trying to say different things at different times, but it paints a consistent picture of a God who involves himself in people's lives. And, and I know that those are just a couple questions, but the questions can keep on coming. And these questions can come from people outside of faith, people who don't believe in the Jesus story or don't even believe in a God at all. And they can come from people that we know who are, who are inside or, or believe a lot of the same things we do about Jesus. Or, and this is the scary thing, a lot of times those questions can come from our own hearts and our own minds. Where there are lots of times where, where we are questioning our faith. Now, I don't have a study to prove this, and this, this is not written in the Bible, so this is just my own personal theory. But I feel like everybody goes through a period where they doubt what they believe. I know there's, that's true for a handful of you in here. Uh, I know that's true for me personally. There's times when things have happened and I've said, God, what are you doing? God, are you even there? Do you even hear me? And when those questions start to become very strong, when we have people in our lives who we know and love who ask us these questions, or when we start to have those questions ourselves, this is when we learn what it means to love God with our minds. Because it, it does start to push us to think a little more about why we believe what we believe. Um, questions about our faith will often have us doubting and have us seeming crazy in our own minds and, and wondering what to do about it. Um, But Paul writes to a group of people, and he says, the answer is not to seek more human wisdom. 
is that there does come a time in our, in our faith where we do have to kind of, I'm not saying we have to throw out logic and reason, but we have to be aware that there are parts of our lives that logic and reason cannot touch. And we have to lean into the story more and keep walking with Jesus and trying to figure out what is at the root of our doubt. And instead of walking away from our faith, when we get to a place where we have questions, is that we keep walking in our faith and looking for answers. And these questions don't just come from in, inside ourselves, and they don't just come from people outside of the church, but, but they'll come from places inside the church as well, from people who are, they, they are committed Jesus followers. Because it's one thing to believe what we believe, and that's sort of crazy. We've said that earlier is that some of the things we believe are going to seem crazy to other people. Something happened with the translations? You wanna, can you hear them again? Very good. I can't believe that I fixed that. <laughs> it's going to mess up again. So we have questions about our faith that come from inside of us. Because believing what we believe is sort of strange. But crazier than believing what we believe is actually living what we believe. Because that will get you questions from people inside and outside the church. Um, uh, our oldest daughter is adopted. And so we know a lot of uh, adoptive couples and, um, and some foster care families that we know. And um, every single person I've ever talked to who's gone down that road because of their faith have had people in their lives, sometimes Christians, who ask them, why are you doing that? Why would you inconvenience yourself in that way? Why would you do something so hard? And when your answer, the only answer you have is because Jesus com compelled me to do it, that seems crazy to people. Um, I have friends, and I know people who have decided to live in smaller houses or live in neighborhoods that uh, are a li little bit more low income or might have more crime, and they did that because they felt like their faith was pushing them in that direction. And they had people in their lives, well-meaning, Jesus-following people, who told them, why are you doing that? Don't do that. Because when we actually live our faith, it seems crazier than believing what we actually believe. And so when we, when we love God with all our minds, it means we are mentally committing to a life that seems crazy to most of the outside world. And it seems crazy to even people who profess the name of Jesus.
is that we are going to live differently in the world. Uh, there's this songwriter I love, and um, he, there's this concert video. He died in the late 90s, and there's this concert video, and he was talking about some of the doubts that he had had. And it's this quote that I've never been able to get out of my head, and he says, if you're looking for a religion that makes sense, I don't recommend Christianity. And he said, but if you're looking for a religion that gives life, I think this is the one. And I love that because I think that speaks to the idea of loving God with your mind because we make up our minds that we are going to follow Jesus. And he's going to take us to places that make us uncomfortable and he's going to take us to places that make us want to turn around and quit it all. I mean, I think a lot of you are probably committed to this idea of loving God with your whole mind. Because if you, if you talk to somebody about our church, the, the first thing most people say is, oh, that's kind of cool. I like that. But the more you start to explain it to them, this has been my experience, is that people just go, that's kind of weird. I don't know how that works. And, and yeah, it is. And to a lot of people, following Jesus doesn't make sense. And gathering with people on a regular basis and trying to figure out... Um, how to be around people who have a different story than you is often difficult. But we serve a God who watches over all of us and cares for all of us and wants us to come together in his name. And it's hard to do, but it just takes every day mentally committing to following Jesus. There's this uh, ultra-marathoner, her name is um, Courtney Doalter, and she is, uh, so I've been fascinated with this, this runner for about a year and a half because she started running these very long ultra-marathons, and she ran, she's most well-known for winning the Moab 240, which is a 238-mile foot race in the deserts of Utah. And so you run for 238 miles. And she won this race. And, okay, that's crazy. I understand. That's a crazy thing to do. Uh, she finished in 59 hours, and she beat the second-place guy. The second-place person was a guy. She beat him by 10 hours, and she slept for 21 minutes in two and a half days to win this race. 238 miles to the desert of Utah in, in October of 2017. And she set the course record. And I was listening to an interview with her about, one, why would you do this crazy thing? Which I thought was interesting. But I, how did you do this crazy thing? was the question I was more interested in. And her answer to how you do it is, 
I just put one foot in front of the other. Like, there's times when I want to quit. There's times when I know I'm being crazy. And there's times when I'm hallucinating because I haven't slept in two and a half days. But I just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And things seem to come together. And I think this is really interesting to us as people of faith because when we love God with our whole mind, we are committing to put one foot in front of the other. And there are times when we know, well, this is a crazy step, but I'm going to take this crazy step. And there's times when we know, well, I don't know what the the road around the corner looks like, but I'm going to take another step forward. And every day we just get a little bit closer to the life that God has called us to live. And, and, and Paul writes this letter 2,000 years ago to a culture that does not care about faith and thinks that faith in Jesus is crazy, and he tells them, keep going, keep putting one foot in front of the other. And it's so crazy to me that he wrote this letter 2,000 years ago, and we're still... It still speaks to us today. We live in a culture that sometimes does not care about faith, that prioritizes all other things other than our faith in Christ. And our call is to put one foot in front of the other over and over and over again. And so that's my encouragement to you this morning, is just put one foot in front of the other is there are some of you who really want to quit because things have been really hard and the burdens are so heavy and it would just be easier if you didn't have to worry about following Jesus. But, but loving some, someone or something with your mind means that when the emotion and the passion aren't there anymore, that you're still committed to that object of your love. As there comes a time when you won't feel like you love God, but you will say, I will live like I love God because he's never steered me wrong. So put one foot in front of the other and keep going. Let's pray together.